I went on a motorcycle trip a number of years ago. I'd never <clears throat> ridden a motorcycle, so that was sort of interesting that I decided to go on a motorcycle trip having never ridden a motorcycle. But I bought a motorcycle and did a little riding and it took me three tries to get my uh, um, motorcycle endorsement. I kept knocking the, crown, uh, the, the cones over on the test and finally I went and did the uh, Ride Oregon Saturday school thing at Chemeketa and you finish that and you basically get your endorsement. So I got it and then I did a 48 state, I drove, hit all 48 states in 33 days, had all the camping gear in the back of the bike and um, finished it all. Didn't kill myself, had a couple of close calls and uh, got home. But one of the questions that people ask is, you've never ridden a motorcycle and you're going to go on a trip and you're going to hit all lower 48 states and you're going to camp every night and you're going to do it in a month. And so the question was, why? Where in the world did you come up with that idea? Um, so that's a good question. And uh, that happens occasionally in my life. I come up with ideas to do things that are semi-crazy. And the question that gets asked every time is, why? Why would you do that? risk your life to do something of that sort. And so the answer is, is I believed it was the will of God for my life. And some would say, the will of God riding a motorcycle, what's that got to do? I mean, the will of God, that's like when if you're going to go preach or be a missionary or something like that. Uh, ride a motorcycle all across the United States. So I want to talk about that topic tonight. In the Colossians, we're going to do a, a Charles Spurgeon kind of a thing. He would have a text and then he would only preach on one word in the whole text. I'm going to kind of do that tonight. So Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. <clears throat> Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, because it's God's will for me to do that, basically what he's saying. So in your notes, number one, God has planned out our life, my life, your life, and we call that plan the perfect will of God, his perfect will. And so as we would talk about that, we would say, does God have a will for your life? Well, yes, yeah, he does. How much in detail is that plan? Is it sort of like you'll be born in such a year and die in such a year and live somewhere, you know, whatever between? How how much detail is there to God's plan for my life? And my opinion is that there's great detail to it. Uh, Psalms 139, verse 16. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. So God has a book with my name on it. And my whole life was planned out by God before I got started. Isaiah 48, 17, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. Who leads you in the way that you should go. Psalms 25, 8 through 9, Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore he instructs sinners in the way he leads the humble in justice. He teaches the humble his way. Or the way. That's for their life. Psalms 143.10 Teach me to do your will for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. 
Psalms 32, 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Number two, we can choose to live outside of his will to some degree. I can choose to live according to the will of God or I can choose to live outside the will of God. The classic example in Scripture, that's Jonah. God said, Jonah, do this, and Jonah said, no. And he did the opposite. And so he lived outside the will of God, and uh, God convinced him to do otherwise. <laughs> uh, he could have continued his rebellion, but he chose to change his mind. He decided he didn't like that being in the fish's belly very long. Jonah won. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, and paid the fare, went down into it uh, to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And so God said, Do this, and he did the opposite. Acts 27, 23. Paul speaking, he said, For this very night, an angel of, of, the, of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me. So Paul's on a ship, and he's talking to the person in charge of the ship. He says, Angel, talk to me tonight. Saying, do not be afraid, Paul, you must stand before Caesar. Behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. God has granted the life of every individual on the ship. And then, a little bit later, the ship is in bad trouble, the storm's coming. Some of the uh, sailors are going to sneak off and save their own life. But as the sailors are trying to escape from the ship and had, and had let down the ship's boat, uh, the, the uh, little boats, the lifeboats, that let down uh, the ship's boat into the sea on the pretense of intending to lay out anchors from the bow. Paul said to the centurion, the guy in charge of the boat, and to the soldiers, unless these men remain in the ship, you yourselves cannot be saved. So Paul had just said that all those who are sailing with you will live. And now he says... Centurion, man in charge of ship, you will die if those dudes get away. Two different scenes. This is God's will. This is not God's will. And they had the option of doing that. But the consequence of not doing God's will were going to be significant loss of life. Number three, most Christians don't choose to live in rebellion in regard to God's will. They just get lost in life. So what that means is you go to work and you work and you come home and you watch a little TV and then you uh, eat dinner and, uh, and then you maybe mow your lawn and you pet your dog and, and uh, read a little and then go to bed and then the next day you get up and do the same and uh, your life just gets filled up with stuff. And through the course of every day, going to work, mowing your lawn, petting your dog, watching television, checking the news, reading the paper, there's very seldom the thought that pops into your head, 
I wonder if I'm in the middle of God's will or not. You just live life. And we get lost in life, as it were. And so the average individual that's not living in the will of God isn't there because they have saying, I'm not going to do what you say. They simply just drift away and live life. And often are not living the will of God because they never sought the will of God. And I can guarantee you that if you're not seeking his will, you won't be living in his will. I'll say that again. If you're not seeking what his will is, you're not going to be living in it. You're just going to be living life. It's not bad, but um, number four, the obvious truth is that everything will go better inside the will of God rather than outside. I mean, even a person that's read two verses in the entire Bible if you were to ask him this question, what do you think? You're living according to the will of God for your life and over here you're not. Which one will go better? Inside the will of God, outside the will of God. Even someone that's flunked third grade Sunday school will get that one right. It's pretty obvious. God's God, he's in charge, he has a will... And if you live in his will, things will go... If you live outside his will, it won't go so well. Now, one of the things for sure that won't go well is that what you accomplish with your life that matters for eternity will be minimal to non-existent outside the will of God. The opportunities, the open doors won't be there, the strength won't be, the blessings won't be there when you're outside the will of God. <clears throat> Number five, so the $1 million question is, how do I know what the will of God is for me? For my life. Now I've asked that question for myself personally a bazillion times, I'm sure, as I struggle with this way, this way, which way, I don't know. Help me to know, Lord. Um, Genesis 24, 7, the Lord, the God of heaven who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth and who spoke to me and who swore to me saying, to your descendants I will give this land, he will send his angel before you and you will take a wife for my son from there. So Abraham sends his servant to go get a wife for his son. And the servant says, I don't, who am I supposed to get? He went back to where his family was. And Abraham says, God will send an angel and you will get just the right person, the perfect will of God for my son because an angel will go before you. Now, wouldn't that be easy? I mean, we say, how do I know the will of God? Okay, angel, tell me. We all have an angel who will tell us what the will of God is. I've never seen an angel, never talked to an angel, never heard an audible voice, never seen writing in the sky, nothing. And then this one is famous, Judges 6.39. Gideon said to God, Do not let your anger burn against me that I may speak once more. Please let me make a test once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece and let there be dew on all the ground. God, God did so that night, for it was dry only on the fleece, and dew was on all the ground. Now he did this flip-flopped, dew on one, dry the other, flip-flopped it the next day, just to make sure. So I tried that. I didn't use a fleece. I didn't have a fleece. I used, outside our house, there was this big maple tree, and there was a maple leaf that was as big as a pie plate. I mean, it's huge. And I'm trying to figure out, 
whether I should stay farming or go pasture. And I was back and forth. And there was this leaf laying on the ground there. And I said, okay, Lord, you did it for Jonah. You did it for Gideon. Flip that leaf over if you want me to go pasture. So I said, I'm going to give you five minutes. I went and sat down and came back. And I thought, well, this is dumb. How do I know if it flipped over or not? They both look the same. So I went out with a felt-tip pin and put a big X on it. Then went and sat down five minutes, came back. Nothing happened. Well, okay, I don't guess that's one's going to work. So a maple leaf, a fleece, an angel. I mean, if God wants me to do his will, it looks like he'd make it a little easier than he does. Number six, God wants us to know what his will is for our life more than we do. He wants me to know his will for my life more than I want to know it. That's a given. But he expects that we will want to know what it is and seek for it diligently. So that's why I said, if you don't seek the will of God diligently, you're probably not living in it. Because he doesn't tell you, doesn't show you, doesn't guide you until you want it. Really want it. Ephesians 6, 6, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God, doing the will of God, doing the will of God. Ask the average person, we could do it here. Just start. Last week, 24, 7, what do you think? Did you live the will of God most of the week, the perfect will of God for your life, so if we go around and ask the question tonight, the answer will be, I don't know. I don't know. So if you don't know, probably the answer is no. Number seven, the foundation to knowing the will of God for our life is our willingness to do God's will. Our declaration to him that we will obey and follow his will for our life is essential Essential. Essential means it won't work without that ingredient. It's essential. It ought to be made every day. So if you've been around JBC very long, you've heard me talk about this daily committing of our life to him as Lord and Master. The presentation of ourself to him and saying, you are the master, the owner, the Lord of my life. It ought to be an everyday experience of our life. Uh, I consider that to be foundational to knowing what God's will is for your life. Romans 12, therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, I urge you, I urge, this is so important. Paul says, I urge you by the mercies of God, present your bodies. Present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Present yourself to him acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship, meaning all that he's done for you, this is the least you can do for him. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that, may, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. The will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Romans six thirteen. Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Present yourselves to God. Present yourselves to God reporting to, for duty, sir. You are Lord of my life. Present your body 
yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Matthew 26, 42. Jesus went away a, a, a second time and prayed, saying, My Father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. Your will be done. It's a declaration. Your will be done. Or another way of saying it is, I will do your will, whatever it is, no matter how difficult or how hard it is. Luke 9.23, he was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily. Daily. And follow me. John 6, 38, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. That's Jesus speaking. John 4, 34, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. John 5, 30, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will make your paths straight. So I make this an every morning, every morning, every morning, never fail ritual of my life. I get up in the morning and I say, Lord Jesus, you are Lord of my life. You purchased me with your, your blood. I belong to you. And I present myself today to you as a living sacrifice. Today I will obey you. I will serve you. I will do whatever you ask, no matter how difficult or how hard it is. And then I have a list of I wills, I will, I will, I will, I will, including I will love my wife the way Christ loves the church. When I finish with those, I say, Lord, I can't do this in my strength. Please fill me with your spirit today. Grant me the wisdom to know what to do and, and say in every situation, I love you. Every morning I say, I belong to you. You are Lord of my life. I will obey you. I will serve you. Number six, goal... Um, Goal setting is a great tool for discovering the will of God. So I'm not talking about the way that businesses do goals. I'm talking about the way I do goals. What I say, Lord, what's your will for my life? And I try to figure it out and I write it down and in the form of a goal, because a goal is a statement or commitment of what I will do. Number nine, our goals are what we believe is God's will for our life. If you don't know for sure, don't write it down as a goal. Number ten, a written down goal is a commitment to act to do something, to obey. Now, when I write a goal down, I'm not saying I will accomplish it, but I am saying that I will pursue it until I'm convinced that it isn't God's will for my life. And I get my goals done for the year, and I say, Lord, this is what I believe is your will for my life, and I am going to pursue it with everything in me unless something, some way you guide and direct me uh, in another way. In the meantime, I'm just going to move ahead in faith. Uh, and pursue this as, this as if it is your will for my life. And so when I write it down, I'm saying, I will. Okay, the meat of the thing now, number 11. God puts his will in our heart. And it shows up in the way of a strong desire. 
So they asked the average Christian, how does God communicate his will to you? An angel? A voice? A dream? A letter in the mail? An email? Said, this is from God. Here are your instructions for the day. God speaks to our heart. He tells us what his will is. And we hear that in the form of a, I want to do that. I want to do that. A desire, a prompting from the inside uh, that is from God. Isaiah 30, 21, your ears will hear a word behind you. This is the way, walk in it. Now, do we hear a word? No, not outside, audibly inside. Psalms 37, 3 through 5, trust in the Lord, do good, dwell in the land, cultivate faithfulness, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart, the desires of your heart, the desires of my heart are what I believe is the will of God for my life. Psalms 21, 1, O Lord, in your strength the king will be glad, and in your salvation how greatly he will rejoice. You have given him his heart's desire. You have not withheld the request of his lips. And so here's the motto of my life. Number 12, get close to God, do what you want. Because what we want is what he wants, because he put it there. Get close to God, do what you want, because what we want is what he wants, because he put it there. Now that works, that works for me. Every day, every day, every day, as I think, Lord, I will obey you, I will do whatever you want me to do, and I will discern what that is by what I want. And I believe that what I want, you put there. John 15, 7, if you abide in me, that's a big word, the word if. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, it'll be, it'll be done for you. Whatever you wish, what your desire is, it'll be done for you. Why? Because that's God's will. That's God's will. 13, the tricky part. The tricky part is that if we drift away from God, the desires that we have then will probably be prompted by our flesh, the world, and the devil. <clears throat> so there is a significant requirement if you're going to use this system the way I do. That is, if you're not close to God, then the wrong desires are going to be running your life. Get close to God, do what you want. If you're close to God, what you want is what he wants because he put it there. If you're not close to God, then what you want is probably going to be from your flesh, from the world, uh, or from the devil. Proverbs 21.10, the soul of the wicked desires, desires evil. 1 Corinthians 10, 6, now these things happened as examples for us so that we would not crave or desire evil things as they also craved. This was meat instead of manna. It's not what you'd call really bad stuff. James 4, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is it not the, uh, is not the source? Your pleasures, that is the 
desires that wage war in your members. You lust, you do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Pleasures, that's fleshly desires. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So we've gone through 13 steps. Here's step one of knowing God's will. 13 points, step one, 14. So step one in discovering the will of God for our life is to seek the Lord and get close to him and stay close to him. Seek the Lord. Do you know how often that phrase is used in the Bible? Seek God, seek his face, seek the Lord. Uh, it's used over a hundred times. And almost every one of them has a blessing attached to it. Those who seek the Lord will not be in want of any good thing. Those who seek the Lord will know uh, his will. Those who seek the Lord, their children will inherit the land. Those who seek the Lord will know the deep things of God, will know the secrets of God. Those who seek the Lord, the angels of God will encamp around them. Fifteen, to seek the Lord is not trying to discover where he is. He's right next to us. He's in us. To seek the Lord is to work at growing in intimacy with him, to truly know him. So he's everywhere, he's in us as believers, and the admonition is to seek him, seek him, seek him. And as we seek him and grow close to him and, and have a relationship with him that's intimate, the result will be he will put his will in us, and we will sense it, and we will know it, because it'll just be coming out in us in the form of desires. Deuteronomy 4.29, but from there you will seek the Lord your God, you'll find him, you'll find him if... If you search for him with all your heart and all your soul. First Chronicles 16:10. Glory in his holy name. Let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. Let seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face continually. First Chronicles 28:9. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will let you find him. If you seek him, he will let you find him. Second Chronicles 15, 2 Chronicles 15.2 The Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will let you find him. 16, so the, the core goals that we have set would be the basic disciplines of the Christian life, which are the basic principles for seeking God. the basic principles for seeking God, to have a relationship with him that's intimate, that's real. You probably know what they are. Let me give them to you real quick. Eight, read the Bible every day, 15 minutes minimum, using a Bible reading plan. Now, that's just my suggestion. Okay, 15 minutes is not sanctified. Not in the Bible. It's... Just my suggestion as an old man that's been doing it for a while. Every day, every day, read the Bible. It is the Bible. It is the Word of God. You want to seek God, you read His Word. Psalms 40, verse 8, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. 
B, spend time with God in personal prayer every day. 15 minutes. Uh, there used to be a book called the 2929 plan, 2959 plan. 29 minutes and 59 seconds. Does a question pop into your head? Why don't you just make it 30 minutes? Because it didn't, wouldn't sell. 2959 has a little bit of a catch to it. So the little book written by the author was spend 15 minutes in Bible reading, 15 minutes in prayer, not really 15 minutes, 15 minutes and 40, uh, 14 minutes and 59 seconds. And the, the little book said, that is the secret, the magic, the power to everything, to everything. That 29 minutes and 59 seconds will be the foundation on which every success of your life is built. See, spend some time every day in reflecting, reflective thinking, examining your life for sin, confessing it to God. Not much separates us from God, our fellowship, our intimacy with Him as much as unconfessed sin does. So just take a few minutes every day, examine your life, confess all known sin to God. Everybody wants to say, what about ones I can't remember? Confess all known sin, known, K-N-O-W, known sin to God. He takes care of the ones that you can't remember. But if you do that every day, what you remember will increase, and pretty soon you start confessing it right when you do it. And, uh, but he gives you it until the sun goes down to take care of it so that it doesn't have an adverse effect on your relationship with him. Uh, a key thing to look for in our reflective thinking is any bitterness, even a small amount. As we ask God to forgive us, we need to forgive anybody and everybody of anything and everything. When, if you came into my office and said, hey, I'm having problems and th this, I would ask you a question. Anybody in your life that you haven't forgiven, got any little root of bitterness? Now, if you instead ask me about this problem, I would say, anybody in your life that you're not forgiven, even a little bit, how about this problem? I'd ask the same question. Bitterness is the number one problem in Christians. In my experience of pastoring for 44-plus years, I find more problems related to the past where somebody has said something, done something, cheated us, violated us, whatever, and we have not forgiven them. Uh, it destroys our relationship with God because he says, if you do not forgive others after I have forgiven you of everything, then you are not going to be forgiven and our relationship will be way far apart. You won't know the will of God even if he writes it in the sky with an angel. If you get undealt with bitterness in your life, it's absolutely essential in your walk and relationship with God is to forgive anybody of anything, no matter what it is. I told you this story before. I'll tell it to you again because it's such a cool story. I was speaking in England uh, for a, a crusade that was going to happen. I was speaking on prayer a couple weeks before the crusade was going to happen in 10 different cities. And one of the places, it was in North England, but I also went into Scotland and the one church there. And I was talking, and I was talking about the sermon series I did years ago called The Dirty Dozen, 12 Reasons Why God Doesn't Answer Your Prayers. 
And one of them is this bitterness in your life. If you have somebody in your life you've not forgiven, then you can pray till the sun comes down, the sun comes up, uh, till the moon turns blue, and God will not answer your prayers. Well, I got into that one about halfway, and there was this young lady in the audience, and she came out on the island, she came up, and she got about this far from my nose, and she started yelling at me, screaming at me. And she had been uh, involved for years in satanic ritual abuse as a object of the worship. They had uh, sexually abused her in these satanic ceremonies. She'd gotten pregnant, and they had offered the baby up as a, a sacrifice, killing it in one of the satanic ritual abuse services. Uh, her father was the key person that was doing this, and uh, they finally caught the group, and they arrested them, put them in jail, and she came up, as I said, you have to forgive anybody if anything, and I mean, she was really upset with me. And so uh, I said, uh, I just need to tell you this one thing. If it were up to me, I'd shoot him a thousand times, beat him with a stick. I would make his life any as miserable as you possibly could. I mean, that's an absolutely terrible thing. I, I would say, don't do it. Don't forgive him. He's, a, he's just dirt. But I didn't write the rules. God did. I'm not telling you what I think. I'm just reading the book to you. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. It's, you can take it or leave it, but that's what it says. That's what it says. So uh, I got a pastor who stayed in contact with me for a couple of years, and she finally came around, got it all taken care of, dealt with it, uh, got clean with it, and uh, her life really uh, improved dramatically after that. But the fact is, is if you want to know God's will for your life, you have to be close to him. And if you want to be close to him, anybody and everybody of anything and everything you have to say, Lord, you have forgiven me, and I choose to forgive them as an act of my will. They don't deserve it, but I'm not doing it because they deserve it. I'm doing it because you forgave me, and I didn't deserve it. And you've asked me to forgive anybody of anything. Number D, worship God while corporately, privately, thanking Him for everything and grumbling and complaining about nothing. Worship is a character trait, positiveness, and you can't do one thing and then do the other. If you grumble and complain and whine about life, you're not going to be a real genuine worshiper of God, thanking Him and praising Him corporately and privately in your life. But it's critically important to your intimacy and your walk with Him. 17, another key tool for discovering God's perfect will for our life is counsel from others who know us well, love the Lord and are wise. Proverbs 15, 22, without consultation, plans are frustrated. With many counselors, they succeed. Proverbs 24, 6, for by wise guidance, you will wage war. In abundance of counselors, there's victory. 18, a key body life principle, body life, that's the church, is that God gives us what we need from others in our church family. Interdependence in the body of Christ is the rule of God, not independent, self-sufficient. And he will prompt people to say to us things that we would have never 
imagine they would say, if we have this attitude, God's going to speak to me through other people. When I was struggling with coming to, here to be a pastor, I went to a seminar, Patty and I did, and it was on how to raise kids. And so we had Sarah, our first, and the doctor told us we couldn't have any, so we assumed she would be the only one we ever had. We wanted to do a really good job, so we went to a seminar, how to raise good kids. In the seminar, the speaker said, God will give you his will through your parents, even if they are, even if they are ungodly, if you just were humble enough to ask them for what they thought. I'm sitting there thinking, my dad thinks all preachers are lazy and good for nothing. When I left, he said, one thing about preachers, they're all fat and they all play golf. That's why I never played golf until after he died. <laughs> I was going to prove him wrong at least one of those points. And so I was pretty sure that if I said to dad, what do you think, dad, shall I be a pastor or a farmer? I mean, I knew what he was going to say. And so I said, dad, what do you think, shall I be a pastor? This church down in Jefferson, we helped start. They want me to come down and be their pastor. I was sure that I could, I could just hear him say, Pastor, that's foolishness. That was his favorite word. Everything was foolishness. Foolishness. Instead, he said to me, Well, why don't you just go down and do it for a year and give it a try and see what happens? Sometimes you just don't know until you try it. I was like, What? <laughs> Dad, you were my fallback. <clears throat> 19, a major barrier for many to knowing and living God's will is their pride. I'm going to do it my way. Twenty, most of the decisions that we make every day, the little ones will simply be based on wisdom. We know what to do because we have his wisdom. So I went on a motorcycle trip. I really wanted to do it. It was strange. I thought, even me, I wondered, why? Where did this come from anyway? But I was just obsessed with it. And so my motto, get close to God, do what you want. Because what you want is what he wants, because he put it there. And so bought a bike, planned the route, 9,000 miles from my driveway all the way around the country and back, hit all lower 48, home, 9,000 miles, 33 days. I was going to do it in 30, but I did 33 days. Um, had an absolutely the wonderful time. I was really burnt out at that point. And I came back just ab charged up, full of fire. It was the best month I had spent for a long time. Going fishing to Alaska, I'm going on a 1,200-mile bicycle trip. I'm restoring a 1969 Mustang. Is that all outside the will of God? Or does that all fit into the picture? I'm convinced that God's plan for my life is in detail. And I can live out there outside the will of God or I can live in the will of God and I can get close to Him, read the Bible every day, 15 minutes minimum, spend time with Him in prayer every day, confess all known sin every day, make sure there's nobody that I'm bitter at, resentful, even a little bit. And then just praise Him, worship Him all the time. 
Don't grumble, complain about anything. And delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart because the desires of your heart will be the desires of his heart for me. And it works for me. It works great. But you've got to stay close and you've got to want to do his will. And if there's something that comes up that's, ah, go to Sierra Leone on a mission trip? No, I don't want to do that. That's too hard. It's hot over there. Whatever he puts there, you're open and you say, I'll do it. I'll do it. It's your willingness to do it that prompts him to tell you uh, what to do. And then you bear much fruit and you have a great time until he comes. Let's pray. Father, thank you. We love you so much because you gave us eternal life. You sent Jesus to die in our place to pay the penalty of our sin. We have this free gift of eternal life living with you forever and ever. In the meantime, we truly, Lord, we would just say we really do want to do your will, your perfect plan and uh, will for our life. And we would just agree that sometimes we just get lost in life, busy with all this stuff, and don't really think about whether we're in your will or not. But we want to be right in the middle, right in the center, main current of your will for our life every day. Lord, help us to want that, to seek it diligently, to stay close to you. We love you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.